as the rain continues to tumble down here in this little corner of southeast Queensland and mostly up and down the east coast of Australia, it's been a little while since I got off the Zoom meeting with Muhammad and there's a lot to contemplate in this one. I don't want to ruin the conversation, so I'm going to talk very little about it in the introduction. I will say there was a bit of background noise and because of the weather down here and the fact that I'm literally talking to someone in Cairo, there was a bit of lag this time. However, I will do my best in the audio to clean it up. It's experiences like these that make me feel immense gratitude just for the opportunity to sit down and talk with a gentleman like Muhammad and to share information with him and have him share information with us, especially because Egypt is such a large part of this megalithic civilization that existed before. To talk to someone who's literally studied it for his entire life provides knowledge and perspective that you couldn't help to gain through just studying books and looking at pictures. So I am very, very thankful for that. I'm going to stick with the combination of come together and bathe in the sun as the music because it just feels right for these Egypt ones. If another combination comes to mind, I'll change it. I will be sitting down with Muhammad again soon. There's more stuff to talk about and there's more knowledge that he wants to share with us, which I'm, again, very thankful for. Don't have too much more exciting times here and unlocking the code. The pieces are coming together and the conversations that I'm lining up in the background are going to take these ideas and the evidence and everything else to the next level. So I'm stoked to have you along the way. Look after yourselves, stay safe, be kind, be cool, and we'll talk soon. Cheers.
Muhammad, welcome back to Unlocking the Code. We just were having a quick chat about the response from last week's podcast to do with the Gosford Glyphs and how there were some comments online that were taking a different direction and you were just talking about Khufu and you thought we better put this one on the record. Yes, exactly. Um, unfortunately, when you uh, uh, explain your own idea, about something uh, which already has some negative opinions uh, or, or negative uh, judgments. So the audience who believe in, uh, in, in something or they uh, still believe that this is like fake or they take the side of one of the groups, they still have the same judgment even without uh, or they try to uh, not see your idea 100%. Like they just... Read the title of the video or the title of the uh, post, and they still um, deny and they still uh, are not convinced, uh, and they don't pay any efforts just to read uh, any details or all the details about this post. If people will listen carefully to my uh, podcast with you last time, I was talking about the writings itself uh, as. In my opinion, it was the last thing was done uh, uh, by the ancient Egyptians who visited Australia. And I said that visit is mm. not the first, it is the last visit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the relationship could be hundreds or maybe thousands of years before. Yes. Okay. And, uh, and I said that when you are familiar, you don't need to be an expert uh, to explain something. If you are one of the locals of, of the place or one of the uh, natives to such a story, okay, like some, so many of the keepers in uh, the Egyptian sites, they don't have uh, a, a university degree, they don't have master degree or PhD degree, but they have great knowledge about the site because they are there every day, mm. okay? Not only there every day, because they don't read books, they don't uh, read uh, hieroglyphics, they don't have any information about the place uh, as, as a beginning of their foundation. But how they get the information? Because they are there every day, and every day they listen to visitors, tour guides, professors, uh, teachers. So because those people keep going every day, and not of course the same, but the same groups, but other groups, different groups daily. They explain something, and the, the guard is listening mm. what they say. And when they hear repeated stories, so he will be more confident that this is the correct story. Until he met someone with uh, uh, different ideas, like me as an example, and I explain to him slowly why this story is not true and why that story. Uh, make makes more sense. Okay, so just by uh, being in the site every day and listening to the the uh, the opinions of uh, different uh, tour guides and different uh, teachers, they gathered uh, so much information about the site. Okay, so what about a student of this history, a student of this uh, art or this language, and he is also there all the time. Mm. Okay. So that is that is something very important, and people should not uh, 
like uh, deny the knowledge of someone like this. I'm not talking about myself. No, I'm talking about uh, any person in the same situation. Absolutely. I will give yeah. you a very clear example. I live in Giza, right? But I did tours uh, in Aswan, Luxor, Sinai, okay? And I know those sites like my hand, okay? Yeah. But every time I go, I contact some of my local friends there, asking them about any updates, any changes, anything, because they are the ones who live there all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. They see, so they, they they see everything. They are very close to... They are very, Exactly. And in a very short time, maybe the news will come to me in Giza after a day, after two, maybe after 10 hours. But the news for them, it's just in one second, one minute. Okay. So that is the point. So I want people when they uh, hear uh, opinion against what they believe, no, read it to the end. Mm. Okay. And look to the, especially if this... Uh, uh, idea has details and have some evidences and proofs. Okay, like I told you last time that the word nifer uh, means zero. Okay, I like uh, can challenge all the audience if someone had uh, a, a dictionary, hieroglyphic dictionary, and started to search mm -hmm. if this information is true or false. Yep. I believe that no one did that. No, okay. no. I, I think I think Muhammad, you know what what you're talking about here is one of the, and I found this a lot. It's like when it when a new idea comes into play, it should be studied, it should be respectfully looked at and evaluated, but because of uh, certain narrative, and I think you probably see this more than anyone in Egypt with the narrative that's been played out there for many centuries, if not millennia, that people are very attached. You know, they, they, they have their, their livelihoods attached to this. But I thought science and exploration was the, the study of these things. And, and when new information comes to light, we should be open to receiving it. You there, bud? Oh, you've dropped out. Give us a second, guys. Muhammad's dropped out. Remember, we are... Uh, Cairo to Brisbane, and it is uh, currently raining here in Brisbane, so I'm sure Muhammad will jump back in in a second. Look, just further to what I was saying there, it's something that we've come across a lot on this podcast where a new idea is presented, but because people are so attached to their own idea, they don't actually give that new idea its due. Oh, Muhammad's back. You're back, mate. <laughs> yes, that's okay. What happened? Uh, it was my connection. It was what? Oh, it could, the connection here. Yeah, look, there's a lot of rain around where I am at the moment, so that's okay. We'll, we'll we'll battle on. What I was saying before we cut out was that I think one of the issues with a lot of the studies that you do and a lot of the studies that we do down here is that it challenges the narrative, and people get so attached to to what they think they know that they can't see past it to open their perspective. Whereas I think, and one of the core things that we are, we believe here at Unlocking the Code is that there is no, no one really knows. So if you accept that no one really knows, 
then all new ideas need to be brought in and, and, and shared and looked at and evaluated correctly without, without bias or without uh, opposition. Exactly, yes. And that is the, the point of uh, research or finding the truth. Mm. No one can claim he is the only one has the truth or the only one can give you the uh, exact story. No, we are helping each other. Mm. We are, maybe I uh, can give you a very good story, but it, it's, there is a missing part, which is an important part. Someone else can add this part to me. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But, uh, and I, I will tell you something. I, I believe in so many uh, strange ideas, but maybe the idea of aliens is still very hard for me to believe. But I don't deny the story. When I listen to uh, any story like this or any explanation, I listen carefully and I try to see if this can fit my uh, ideas or my uh, beliefs. Sometimes, no, it, it doesn't, or most of the times. But again, I never say, no, this is completely wrong or I will not listen anymore to such stories. No, I keep listening because who knows, maybe... There is something still in my consciousness or in my beliefs not complete. That's why, uh, as if you have a, a device of three pieces, you miss the one in the middle. So the one on the right and the one on the left will not attach together. Okay. Yeah. So so maybe the story is true, but I, I'm missing the middle part or the story is not correct. But in, in both cases, I must uh, read the, uh, and and uh, see the, the details, full details of the story, listen carefully to what they say, and then I put or I uh, add my judgment. And I totally agree. I so totally I, agree. I know you, you're going to ask me about the boomerang, which is very yes. interesting. Yeah, story. the boomerang. Yeah, the boomerang. Actually, yes. what, I, what, I, what I would like to do, mate, is just show you something here for a second, because I've been doing some, uh, some okay. studies since uh, since we last spoke. Can you see that there, mate? Okay, yes. And basically it says in the bottom there, as mm -hmm. is with certain African races at the present day, uh, the Egyptians performed a dance which the various episodes of a successful hunt were enacted. It was thought that this would ensure a successful hunt and therefore plentiful supply of food for the tribe. Every detail mm -hmm. of the above drawing is authentic and has been taken from early Egyptian pottery. But what I see here being... Uh, being from Australia, is I see the boomerang, and I see the yes. cod, the cod pieces, and I see it's very, very similar to in, uh, an indigenous Australian scene, you know, which which was which is just a fascinating piece of evidence that I've been reading about and wanted to show you, mate. So, so what can you tell us about the boomerang, with where it was found in the in the uh, in certain tombs and bits and pieces? Was it? Yeah, but I need a favor from you first. Uh, send me that picture. Absolutely, not a problem. It will help me. And the, and the name of the book. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I saw something interesting in, in this picture that uh, the man is holding the boomerang with one hand and he's lifting his hand like this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you imagine that the same, the same uh, style or the same picture um, was uh, drawn by the uh, early ancient Egyptians a long time ago? Mm -hmm. then the same tribe man uh, holding the, the boomerang in, with one hand, okay, and like lifting his hand up like this. So uh, when I saw this immediately, I thought you are uh, bringing an ancient Egyptian 
Mm-hmm. So what I realized when I was searching uh, the Gosford uh, the glyphs, that the connection between Egypt and Australia is very strong in many ways. Uh, when we um, started to study as uh, students at the university about ancient Egypt, they uh, made uh, a lecture every week for us inside the Egyptian museum. Mm-hmm. So I was weekly, one day a week, studying inside the museum itself. So our classroom was the museum. And the uh, first year, second year, third year, I was studying in the uh, ground level. Mm-hmm. And the, the last year was in the uh, second floor. And in the second floor, we have the uh, we have so many collections, but the most famous one is Tutankhamun collection. There, there is a huge uh, showcase belonging to Tutankhamun, and it has, I think, more than 20 pomerings inside really? the shoes. Different wow. styles. The, the regular shape, yeah, the regular shape we know, and a little bit, the, the, the angle like slightly uh, bigger, and uh, uh, small size, medium size, big size. It's a, a very uh, wide collection for boomerings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so from that time, when our teacher was explaining to us the story of the boomerang, he just made a comment and he said, this is similar to the Australian boomerangs. That's mm. it. So they didn't add much. Okay. As if it is a kind of um, um, similarity but without connection. Okay. Okay. Yeah. As if the Egyptian maybe like imagine that this is will be something to help them to hunt birds maybe or to use it as a game. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he didn't refer to any connection or anything like this. But after graduation and started to explore the museum, the books, the scenes uh, inside the tombs. I found that it is more than Tutankhamun uh, one showcase. We almost have in, in more than 50% of our uh, paintings and drawings and uh, uh, tools, yeah. uh, boomerang uh, sticks. Uh, the, uh, they show the ancient Egyptian uh, either a king or a mayor or a rich man, or the owner of the tomb mm. above his reed boat on the marshes, and he is throwing the boomerang. Found uh, hundreds uh, of boomerangs in different tombs uh, for uh, royals, for rich people, and for commoners. And, and I can tell you that is what we call it dynastic Egypt. Okay, mm. But guess what? I found so many stories that the boomerang, because when we started to talk about the boomerangs and we are very confident now that Egypt and Australia must have a relationship, ancient relationship or connection. So the question was the origin of the Pumerings. Is it Egyptians and was given to the Australians or Australians and given to the Egyptians? It's a good okay. question. Yeah. The, uh, the strong, yes, because now we can see it in both countries. Uh, so my strong belief was uh, that it was Australians and because of the Egyptian visits uh, so they copied or they take samples yeah. uh, or maybe they, they put the product like like what we do now we buy Chinese products Indian products okay but uh, I found so many interesting uh, data that there are an existence to the pomerings during so we are talking now 
about uh, around 5,000 BC. 1,000 BC. Okay, right. 5,000 BC, before Dynasty One, like uh, more than 1,500 years before Dynasty One. It's a kind of a culture, they call it Marmata uh, culture in uh, Egypt. And they found uh, in their uh, tombs, in what we call it the funeral uh, furniture and funeral objects, they found uh, pomerings. Wow. Maybe not in, in a perfect shape, but it is pomerings. Right, 100%. Yeah. Okay. And we found in one of the tombs uh, called the, uh, and that uh, picture is used uh, by some people to prove that this is the Atlantean immigration from the uh, their uh, sunken island. Mm. There are so many boats, which is uh, something we must talk about again. Boats, huge size of boats. Yes, we and only I, we I only just touched on boats. Not yeah. talking up, say it again. We only just touched on the boats last time, but that's something I I would love to dig back into the the logistics side of it. Definitely, definitely. So so the sure, boomerang. Sure. It, I, I I heard in one I heard in one of the podcasts you did with Cliff Dunning that you said that the you you thought that the boomerang was a foreign weapon. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, that is an ancient Egyptian word. Yeah, right. Okay, there is a word called there is a word called tinu. Okay, mm -hmm. called Tinu, and Tinu, uh, the, uh, the the explaining or the meaning say the foreign weapon. That that is not me. That is the dictionary. Okay, but the verb or the or the word itself, according to Arabic language, the word Tinu, it can be explained as a verb. Tana or Yatni means to bend. Ah. Not straight, bend, bending. So it is the shape of the boomerang stick, yes. The boomerang. So right. That is tinu or, or tana. Yeah. It makes great sense, mm. right? So the shape of the boomerang and the name itself. Okay, so the, um, the ancient Egyptian call it the foreign weapon. So that is will lead us to a, a, a very uh, strong fact that if I just say that said that we have boomerangs at 5000 BC, mm. maybe earlier. Mm. Okay. So when you find something, we say this is the oldest, not the first. Right, yeah. We, we found. And most, most boomerangs are made from so timber as well. Some people can immediately say, ah, yes. Mm. So, so they would, many they would people break immediately down. say, uh, in this case, the yeah, they will say the pomerings are ancient Egyptians and was uh, taken by the Australians. No, I don't agree with this. I can say, and here is the weird opinion, that Egypt and Australia, or let's say the, the Australians, one day they lived in Egypt. Mm. And I'm, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of years ago. Yes. Yes. Okay. And look, there, and well, there's, there's, and so to, uh, yeah. the culture, the culture, yeah. You, you finish, mate, because I've got something to, to add to that. So the cult, so the indigenous lived here yes. and lived there hundreds of thousands of years ago because of the I culture. I will give you something exclusive. Oh, exclusive. I like it. Yes. 
Okay, uh, I made a post uh, a month ago about uh, a certain uh, rat or mice with a long tail. Okay. And I asked it, um, like my uh, followers, do you recognize this rat or this mice? And uh, many of them said, yes, the locates in many places, but it is popular in Australia. Mm. The, the, the main destination for this mice is Australia. Do you know what I'm talking about, that mice with that, with that long teeth? Yeah, there's a number. In Australia, Muhammad, there's a number of very unique marsupials. I'd have to see the one you're talking about to, uh, to understand which one. But I will wouldn't... send you the picture. Yeah, please, yeah. And guess what the ancient Egyptian name for this uh, mice, mouse? Mouse, what is it? Benu. Benu, which, we, what's that? We said that last week, didn't we? What's that? Uh, and Benu is the, the name was given to Australia. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I was going to say. That, that name rings a bell, right. <laughs> yes. So, 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 so as we, if they, they want to uh, re- relate, they want to relate the mouse to Australia. Mm, yeah, right. So, so the, the mouse stowed away on the boat to Egypt or, the, or the, the boat from Egypt had a mouse from Australia on it or something. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I mean, and look, it, it, it's, it's worth um, – look, that is so fascinating, mate. And, and so 5,000 BC is the oldest one we found, but boomerangs being made from timber are obviously going to break down over a period of thousands of years. So, like you say, that's the oldest one found as opposed to – the only one, you know, it could be a lot older. Where do you subscribe to the cataclysm? Do you side with the meteor impact or the solar flare? Do you think that, do, do you think that Egypt, some of the megalithic structures in Egypt existed prior to the cataclysm? What's your thoughts on that? Look, uh, I have two books here, okay? The first book um, talks about a solar disaster, I- Okay, I will find them. The first book talks about solar disaster, mm-hmm. 10,500 BC. Okay. That for Dr. called Dr. Labayette. I wish yep. I could find that, the book. Is that Dr. and Labayette? Oh, uh, Dr. Robert Schock was also talking about that as well. Uh, yeah, I will come to this, but Dr. Labayette focused in on this. Uh, give me one second. That's okay. Muhammad's just off to find a book, guys. It's very interesting stuff, this. I mean, contemplate for a second that boomerangs have been found in Egypt up to 5,000 BC. And just so we understand, that's over 7,000 years ago, just so we can understand the time frame or prior to, as Muhammad said, the first dynasty. Very interesting stuff. So this is the, the first one. Okay. First, Earth. under fire. Under fire. I'm gonna, lucky I'm recording this. Get that book, yeah. Yes, this is a great book. And this talks about the, the solar uh, effect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, it, it talks about flare and uh, um, kind of uh, electromagnetic waves uh, and so many uh, like uh, strong and bad effects to uh, our uh, galaxy. Okay. And I must uh, explain something quickly. Uh, of course, I didn't study uh, geology or uh, astronomy or physics, okay? But because of books like this, I'm 
trusted uh, scholars and uh, doctors, mm -hmm. you can get the information. So my opinion that if you have a, a, a very advanced civilization like we do now, okay, mm -hmm. with all the electronics, just one pulse, one pulse from the sun. Yeah, that's it. It's electromagnetic over, yeah. pulse will exactly will kill all, and, and this is it's a, a, an answer for any future question how the vision ended mm. just one pulse from the sun yeah that's okay. as that's as easy and as it could have been yeah yes and something interesting we are not farmers i'm not a farmer uh, millions or billions of humans are so we cannot do uh, they necessarily necessarily work to uh, survive. So I can say within five years or maybe less, more than 50% of the uh, globe population will die starving. Mm. Mm. Yeah, me and my friends have discussed that, how, how stuffed we would be. Like, obviously, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now. We couldn't communicate. Mm. You know, I don't have any veggies. Exactly. don't have any vegetables mm. growing in my garden. You know, like... We rely so much on the supply chain and the technology that that yeah, a, a, an electromagnetic pulse or a solar flare that would that would hit the reset button. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that is is a very uh, uh, how do you call it uh, logical or very uh, accepted reason to put uh, end for uh, an advanced civilization. Mm -hmm. The second disaster happened when when you read the, the book of Dr. Robert Chalk. Yeah. Okay. He talks about the cataclysm. Yeah, of course, he mentioned the sun. Mm -hmm. But uh, here you can read more about the cataclysm, which happened 9,700 uh, BC. So after yeah. 800 years of that solar effect. Mm. Okay. Th and that's and the, I th feel that... Yeah, that, that's the thing too, Mohammed. Yes. that they talk about the one that happened 12,800 years ago but they don't talk about mm -hmm. the second one so much that happened 11 and a half thousand years ago. So one descended us into the mm -hmm. ice age and one brought us out of the ice age. Yeah. yeah. So I can say the first one killed uh, almost uh, all life on earth. Not, mm -hmm. not 100%, let's say 90%. The second one was a disaster, but as a, as a cleansing disaster for earth. Yes. Okay. So oh, the end of the ice age and the melting uh, and the, the water rise and all the rain. Uh, and some people, they say it was like a huge flood, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe in, in many places, but Africa is always in higher ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. Of course, Egypt would be the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, while I'm, I was writing my book, I had to study some geology. And I understood that the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea uh, in so many uh, times was uh, uh, invading Cairo level. So Cairo was drowned underwater. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes even uh, further south. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then retreat back to the north and then to the south. So that means that the, the, uh, uh, the melting... Uh, the ice melting, the end of the ice age, took mm -hmm. a long time. And that, and I'm talking also about uh, like not necessarily 10,000 BC, but it would be 
uh, we're talking about uh, some other cases or like uh, uh, I forgot the word. That's okay. Uh, phenomenons happened millions of years ago. Yes. Okay. So, in my opinion, so what happened at 9,700 BC? It was cleansing uh, mm -hmm. disaster. Yes, I, I know the two words are not uh, okay no, together, but that is the truth. No, I, I agree. I agree. Whatever happened, you know, the earth was in an eternal winter and whatever happened at the 9,700 mark brought us back around. It, 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 it cleared the air. Yeah. It cleared the air. It cleansed the... Exactly. It, 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 whatever. Yeah, whatever happened at 12,800, um, I sort of, after looking at the research myself, I side with maybe meteorite impact only because of the ejector that would have clouded the, 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 the planet. Um, but I think the other thing too, Mohammed, why can't it be more than one? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. if, if, if there's something going on in our galaxy and if these rocks potentially come from behind the sun, then maybe they drag a solar flare with them. You never know. Like It doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other, and I'm not tied to any of those ideas. But, yeah, the, the, the 11,600 definitely cleared the air. As you say, cleansing disaster. I like that. Can I use that? That's good. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> you can. Okay. Uh, here would be the beauty when you can mix between uh, different st stories from different fields and different science. Mm -hmm. uh, you just said that we are not sure what was the disaster at 10,500 BC. We don't know if just solar flare or <clears throat> meteorite or what. Now we can depend on the Egyptian mythology. The Egyptian mythology has the answer for this question. There is a story says Ra, the sun, or Gadra, as they call him in, in the story, became old, and his hair became uh, lapis lazuli, his bones became silver, his flesh became gold. Okay. Okay. And the humans or Egyptians, it is not clear if they are talking about all the humans or just the Egyptians, are uh, no longer respect Ra. They don't pay attention to him anymore. They don't uh, give offerings. So he became very mad about the Egyptians or the humans. Okay? Mm -hmm. And he told his eye, which is Hatur, go and kill them, hunt them down. Those okay. infidels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the infidels. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Hatur said, no, no, no. I, I love them. They love me. I am a, a very nice, uh, good uh, uh, goddess. Uh, my heart will not allow. She started to talk this way. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay. So he changed Hatur uh, to be Sekhmet. So Hatur was the lovely, nice cow. Yep. And she became the aggressive uh, lioness. Yeah. And he ordered Sekhmet, yes, attack them. Sekhmet started to attack them. Um, can I just one second? I will oh, answer mate. this phone. No, no, that's okay, mate. Back. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Muhammad's in Hello? the in the middle of uh, organising uh, uh, activities and a upcoming tour. So, I must really appreciate his time.
Just uh, unmute yourself, mate. I just muted you just so you could. Uh... There you go, mate. I was just telling the listeners that you're organising Ramadan and uh, an upcoming tour. So we just uh, we really appreciate your time, mate. So Sekhmet and the infidels. Sekhmet and the infidels. Yes. That's where we were. Exactly. So Sekhmet started to hunt uh, down the Egyptians or the humans. Okay. Because the word exactly here saying humans, mm. but some people explain it as it's called remits or yeah, remits, it means people. Mm. So we don't know, uh, they are talking about the Egyptian people or all the uh, peoples. Mm. So it started to hunt them down, killing them. Okay. Uh, and when Ra looked down and like saw this massive destruction happening by Sekhmet, he felt sad. Mm. Okay, and he uh, ordered segment. He said, "Okay, that's enough. Stop segment." She didn't stop. She became like blind with all the blood and the uh, the fire, and she was kind of uh, 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 aggressive. How do you call it? Aggressivity. Yeah. Well, that was, it's like the the red mist. The red mist descended. Aggression. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. And, and listen carefully to that uh, critical part. She didn't stop. So he created two figures called the shadow. Okay? Okay. And we understand that they mean shadow. So this is an Egyptian word, exists now in the English dictionary. Okay, so shadow. And shadow is shadow. They ran faster than Sekhmet, prepared a lake of... Uh, uh, not wine, something similar to wine. There is a kind of a red fruit mm -hmm. used to exist in Egypt called tatura. And that fruit is like a very strong like a bit, Yeah, like uh, it contains like very strong liquid. Like a, yeah, mm -hmm. like a, a medicine so drug. So Sekhmet yeah. came, she, she saw this is uh, uh, blood. She started to drink mm -hmm. and eventually she lost uh, conscious. And when she wake up, she became Hatur again. She changed it to Hatur. Okay. The nice, lovely one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Hatur complained, became very angry. Then uh, uh, Ra gave her a necklace, that big necklace for Hatur. You see it in, in temples. Saying and that, that yeah. necklace is going to stop this changing. So uh, anyone is going to wear this necklace will not be affected by any evil or uh, it's not evil it is negative energies okay that's interesting so let's see let's see who are the main characters in this story ra mm. sun god hatur segment right mm -hmm. sun god and mm -hmm. who is hatur everybody will say hatur is the lovely cow goddess of music uh resonant uh beer wine Yes. yes, that is correct. But who is Hatur connected with the sun? Who is Hatur in compare with the sun? Oh, Hatur you... is the, the nice uh, beam of the sun. Yes. The, the morning yeah. beam. Yeah, the morning, the, the morning sun. That yes. Kind of, yes. That sun, when it like falls in your skin and your face, hands, you, you feel it is nice. You enjoy oh. actually being under the sun. Mm -hmm. And who is Sekhmet? Also, Sekhmet has some uh, other definition, but Sekhmet, in, uh, with the sun, Sekhmet is the strong ray of the sun. Ah. That, that heat, the heat of the sun. Mm. Middle of the day. The, uh, the afternoon sun. Mm. 
exactly. Mm. Okay. So if you now read the story from this concept, you will find that the sun changed her nice beam to the strong beam. Yes. Her nice uh, energy or heat to the strong one. Mm-hmm. So that will lead us to, again, the story that the sun started to send heat waves, heat waves and uh, some of the uh, uh, electromagnetic uh, rays and uh, ultraviolet rays and uh, so many kind of rays destroyed the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that's why the second part of the story, the rescue mission, it says he created the shadow. That shadow, maybe the smoke or something else, created yeah, yeah. Yeah. kind of an umbrella mm. that's protecting atmosphere mm. and humans. And, and this is the, the brilliant part, in my opinion. Humans who, who had to hide under the ground yes. to avoid the direct contact with the sun started to go up again and to... Uh, create new civilizations. Mm. So that, that is not the caveman story, mm. if I can call it this way. That is not the or a forced beginning. Because mm. mm. it's interesting, Mohammed. We, uh, we did some research oh, geez, a couple of years ago now about the fact that in Turkey, there's tunnel cave complexes that go down up to eight stories. And actually, mm-hmm. if you... Uh, they, they, they think that there's actually a cave complex or an underground tunnel complex that goes all the way from the Mediterranean into Europe. Like that's how far it actually extends. And, you know, it's like, why? Why did they, why did they do that? And the common, the, the narrative is for defensive, for, um, for armies. It's like, well, that's silly. Mm-hmm. As soon as you just post two guards at the door and everybody starves to death, you know, that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, but it would make mm-hmm. sense if they had to exactly retreat underground, you know. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm. So, actually, I've got a question now that we're talking about underground because, in all the things that I've studied about Egypt, all the tombs that are underground and all that sort of stuff, how did they light them? Because obviously, there's no not a lot of evidence of fire found, like torches found. So how did how could you see fifty meters below the earth without fire? And of course, the room's full exo- full of oxygen. So if you had fire in the room, the oxygen it's going to suck the oxygen out of the air. So how did they see underground? That's a question that I don't see asked. Look, I can tell you uh, some famous um, opinions, which is all wrong. Okay, yeah. about uh, using mirrors and like uh, a network of mirrors. The mirrors, yeah. Look, let's pretend this, this is okay. Okay, but mirrors are going to help with uh, a vertical or straight angle, or maybe mm. a little bit with a bend or a curve. But when mm. we talk about the Serapium and Sankara, mm. okay, so we need, uh, no, we don't need that. The mirrors story will not be effective at all. No, that, that's what I mean. The, the entrance, and then we go right, and then we go left, and then, and it's a long way inside, okay? Uh, so they invented the story of uh, the um, clean oil, like olive oil, 
Okay. okay. Because it will not produce uh, uh, soot or smoke. Mm-hmm. But as you said, we have two problems. Uh, and I'm talking about the time when they are digging, okay? Mm. Uh, the, uh, the tunnel. Number one, they are digging in limestone ground. Mm. And limestone is going to produce a powder uh, like a gypsum, like cement. Okay. When you smell this powder, uh, after two hours, the lungs will be cemented. <laughs> and this person will die. Okay. Right. After just two hours. Okay. Okay. Number two. <laughs> Number two, yes, the light. They need light and a very good source of light. Mm. And when I say very good source, why very good source? Because when you go and look to the edges and the corners and the angles, it was made in a perfect way. Mm. Mm. So it needs someone with good sight, okay, with good tool. Because if they are using mirror, the man with the last mirror is not going to keep moving the mirror this way. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So when you look to the tunnel and the serapium, perfect straight line, mm-hmm. perfect round ceiling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so they must have technology. Mm. They must have. And when I say technology, it's not necessarily electricity and lamps like what we do, uh, what we use nowadays. Mm. No, it, it is something mechanical maybe or something. It could be something uh, natural, but, but it is very... Uh, uh, smart and uh, maybe we don't know <clears throat> that type of technology yet. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and by the way, m- most of the people don't know how many tunnel systems we have in Egypt. Mm. They mm. all think of, of most of the people and researchers and Egyptologists, they know 10% of what we have or less. We have thousands of tunnel systems under the Egyptian land. Saqqara itself is, was built above hundreds of tunnel systems. Wow. And, and most of the people think it is just the Serapium or just under the step pyramid. No, we have hundreds. And uh, there is even some stories from the first time you think it is too much exaggerations. There is a story about uh, a, a tunnel from the entrance is at Saqqara and the exit at Giza Plateau. Wow. Also, the people will say, no, that is too much to believe. No, it is not too much. Because, because when you see hundreds of tunnels, if you put them in one uh, straight tunnel, it mm. will actually lead to Giza Plateau even further north. Yeah, right. Because if, it, if it's... And, yeah. and those tunnels are not... Yes, it's network, like, uh, like under the step pyramid, we have a network of tunnels, like there are five tunnels to the east, five to the west, five to the north, five to the south, and all going deep till 50 meters under the ground. Five zero. Five zero. meters under the ground. Is that is that into limestone yes. as well? Is that into limestone uh, as well? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. The uh, ground of, of Cairo is mainly limestone. Okay. Okay. And even if there's sandstone, it's still a hard job. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's still not easy. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. So, so, so okay. Tunnels so, are. Yeah, tunnel. Isn't there an? I heard. I heard tell of an underground uh, citadel or city or something underneath Cairo, somewhere around there as well. Isn't there talk of a a, a grand space with pillars and stuff like that 
that's actually very large, but it's got pillars everywhere or obelisks. Is that true or no? Under the ground? Under the ground, yeah. No, uh, in Cairo, no. That is, they made uh, a kind of a, a satellite scan, I think it was like five or seven years ago, to an area in North Egypt. Oh, North Northern Egypt. Egypt is okay. wide, yes, wide fertile uh, land. We call mm -hmm. it the Delta. Mm -hmm. Now it is for uh, agriculture. Mm -hmm. And there are like huge layers and then big layers of mud. And, and that mud covered the ancient cities. So oh, okay. they yeah. found a, a big village under the mud. Oh, okay. But I don't deny that maybe, maybe Cairo have so many things still hidden under the ground. Mm. Mm. Especially uh, the, the, the west part in Giza. Was, we believe that there are hundreds of uh, underground structures and what we call it tombs and temples still under the ground, under the sand. We don't they have, have the, the technology yet and the funds yet to dig and to find them. So still still never been seen to this day as far as we understand it? Yes, and because we have a list of kings, list of mayors, list of uh, high officials. So we have so many names. We didn't find their things yet. Mm, okay. Especially what, what we call it, all the kingdom. We found only the highlights of the old kingdom. Yeah, right. We didn't. So I got my point. That's why we expect uh, so many uh, still hidden under the ground. So, so okay. So we, we can't, you can't have a torch with limestone and gypsum because you're going to suffocate. You can't have some bloke, some dude dancing around with mirrors all the time trying to catch the light, right? So, okay. So <laughs> we, 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 can, we can debunk. Those two theories. So, what's your theory? I suppose. What? Or what's the? What's the unpopular theory? And as you say, it could be, like you know, they do very interesting things with crystals, Muhammad. Maybe they could have imbued light inside a stone and have that stone mm. on the wall. Or I don't know. What? What? what so, obviously, this is just you uh, talking to us about what you think. But what, what's your theory on it? Exactly. Look, if you uh, tell uh, Edison and uh, his uh, uh, partners that we could produce electricity from a small battery, like a finger size, he won't believe you. Or he will laugh at you. He will say, we have generators, we have towers, we have big factories, okay? But later we managed to produce this, a small battery, double A or triple A, it mm. can produce and it can light a, a small lamp and it can provide like a lamp for a small light for a small room. Mm. Okay. So maybe the ancient Egyptians had another or similar way because this battery, well, when we explain it, what will be the way to explain this battery? What is the, uh, the ingredients of this battery? Oh, it's yeah. I, I could take a guess. Like there's copper and tin, oh. and there's some acid in there, and it's a positive and a negative charge that creates a, okay. a, a flow, a current. Yeah, very good. So if you explain it as a science, what kind of science you, you will call this battery? Oh. Like is this biology? It is chemistry, right? Yeah, it's chemistry. You you would say it's chemistry because it's the reaction between uh, metals and and acid to create charge. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So we agree it is chemistry, mm. and chemistry came that word came from Kemet, Egypt. Exactly. 
So yeah, the Egyptians right. are, are the masters of chemistry. Mm. So if we can do something uh, because of chemistry nowadays, it means that the ancient Egyptian did it a long time ago. Yeah, okay. Because we, we, are just, we are just using the chemistry rules put by the ancient Egyptians. Yeah, th- that's interesting. And that, look, that, that leads me to another. So, so basically, so to put an end to the torch no, debate. I, yeah. I want to add something interesting, okay? Yeah. Because th- that is a very good example. So, okay, uh, what we call the... I wish I... Uh, so this is what? Double A battery. Okay, so in America, what they call it? The same. The same, yeah. Battery. Yeah. In France, battery. In in China, in any in anywhere they call it battery was a different language. Right? In Egypt, what we call this? We call it stone. Stone. Really? Yes. Okay. And and the educated people call it stone battery. Stone battery. Because of what's inside it, why would you call it stone? That's interesting. That is a good question. This is also exclusive to you, my friend, because this is in in our DNA, in our ancestral memories. Stones produce power. (sighs) Crystals, man. If you come to Egypt, if you come to Egypt, Go to any shop selling these batteries, mm. okay, or any supermarket. Mm. Just tell him I want stone, <laughs> which is like it's it's a, a, a common word. Like what kind of stone you want? This is will be in, in any other country, but in Egypt, say I want to buy one stone. He will okay. give you this. So he will in- ask you a question first. He will ask you what size of a stone you want. The stone do you need? But he knows he knows this is a stone. That is that is an exclusive, man. That wow. So that so in so in your so you guys understand that as stones produce energy. That's yes, because it is chemistry again. Yes. Yes. Okay. Muhammad Egyptians know that this stone is uh, as an example, the limestone is carbonate uh, calcium. Yes. The, uh, granite is uh, uh, silica, is mica, uh, sorry, quartz, mica, uh, feldspar, iron. So this is all uh, chemical combination. Mm. So it produces energy. So they basically manipulated. So, but yeah. So if you're asking, so you just needed three stones for your torch, mate. Is that basically what we're saying? <laughs> yes. Wow. That's okay. yeah, and I, and I suppose too, if you think about um, so when we say, when we say, all right, you go, you go, mate, you go, yes, when when we say that the, the pyramid or uh, uh, the opalisk uh, can produce energy, we are not imagining, no, that is uh, a fact. Uh, as an example, uh, the, uh, the, the rose granite. The Egyptian rose granite from Aswan. Mm. It is well known as radioactive stone. Mm. And I told you last time that all our devices sending and receiving has small crystal on it. 
uh, granite has many crystals on it, many quartz cells. Yes. So it is radioactive stone. Uh, so, and also, when you go to any site in Egypt, like the pyramids or other places like temples, you will see something strange. You will see that the main building was built with a certain type of stone, let's say limestone or sandstone, but let's focus on limestone. Uh, if we are building a memorial building or a tomb or uh, a temple, it's going to be limestone and that's it, which will be more than enough. Okay. But you'll find something strange. They, the main building is limestone. Then some inner rooms or chambers from rose granite. And then the surrounding area from rose granite. And then another structure from basalt. Mm. And then uh, another corner from uh, alabaster. So what is happening here? Like why they gather all the, these different types of stones? Uh, it means the different density, different molecular structure, mm. different uh, chemical uh, 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 substance. Okay, so it doesn't make sense unless you are creating chemical reaction. Unless you unless you're harnessing the energy or something. Yeah, it it, ha it has to be. They're doing it for a reason. It's not. I suppose. Over there, they just say decorative. Is that what they say? Like, why would you move tons of exactly. tons yes. and tons of granite? Why would you do that? You're not going to do that because you think it looks pretty. It's going to have function. Mm -hmm. Of course. Mm. Mm. Okay. Because the the group who is working on limestone have certain knowledge and certain tools to deal with limestone. So when you deal with granite, you must have different group of workers with different tools, different techniques. And then when you deal with alabaster, the third group, third tools, uh, basalt. So it doesn't make sense mm. unless it is something uh, important and something functional. Yes. Not decorative. I, I, I thought it was all just a copper chisel, Muhammad, a magical copper chisel. <laughs> Look, to be to be clear about this part also, that uh, during the ancient Egyptian civilization, in the beginning, there was no uh, iron chisel found. Okay, Maybe it was used, but we didn't find any iron chisel from all the kingdom. But starting from Middle Kingdom, we had iron was used in a wide scale. Okay, So that is a big problem for Egyptologists. How come all the stones from granite made during the Old Kingdom, how it was made. Mm. Because we can also pretend that we agree that the copper, that the iron chisel can do the obelisk. Okay. Good. Magically. By the way, if we... <laughs> okay. Let's be um, practical. Okay. It can be done. Okay. Yes. Iron well, I, chisel and I iron have, hammer. Yeah, I have seen... Then with the pins, they, they put the pins along and then the, the many pins and then the, the block will split. I have seen that. So that's practical, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm. So it can be done. But when we talk about the huge size and the perfect work, then it, it doesn't fit 100%. No. But it's still, it's still a way after like lots of work and time, you can do something with the iron chisel. Mm. But when it comes to uh, copper chisel, no, this is impossible. No, yes. New absolutely. way, yes. Mm. 
if if there is a word bigger than impossible, it will be that word. But yeah, <laughs> in whatever language, whatever language it is, it's that yes. word. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we have so many uh, uh, blocks uh, and huge blocks in Giza Plateau from mm -hmm. Old Kingdom made mm -hmm. from rose granite. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any explanation to uh, to our audience how they made it, how they cut from the quarry and how they transfer it and how they shape it and how they make it very fine uh, angles and uh, surfaces. Mm. It is something our modern factories will have great challenge to produce something like this. Yes, yes, yes. I have a, I have a friend who is a stonemason and he has been working with stone for over 25 years. And we've had extensive discussions about the granite and, uh, and how hard it is to work with granite with modern tools, let alone whatever, you know, the, the, just the iron chisel and the copper chisel back then. Like it's, it's, and rose granite is harder. Is that correct, Mohammed? Rose granite's harder than your normal yes, granite? Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm. Uh, because of the, the crystal. Because mm, it of the, yeah. It's very strong density. Yeah, the, the molecular structure is very, very tight knit. So, 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 just to finish off on the on the how they lit the tombs, you think it was some some form of torch powered by stone? Is that is that what you think? Something something along those yes. lines? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And look, that's that's what I thought. I just haven't had anyone like yourself to ask. You know, we we discussed it at length here, but we just haven't had anyone to to exp explain it to us. So. We a couple of things, mate, and then we might finish up because I know you're, you're a busy man. You've got things to organise, and um, so ships. We we started on ships. We sort of ended our last conversation having a bit of a joke about how they just moved seven hundred ton obelisks with a bit of wood and just chucked it on the ship. Mm -hmm. Is there mm -hmm. any? Is there any um, record? I mean, you're there all the time. You've studied it for a long time. Is there any record of, of mechanical devices or not? Is it just basically they moved it from the quarry to the ship? Like how is there any record of how they did that? Or is it just that one uh, one story of the, sh of the ship with the obelisk on it? Look, okay. If we talk about, in general, moving uh, stones or clocks or statues, we have very limited sources. Uh, if we talk about ships, we have only two stories. Uh, King Ones from the uh, 5th dynasty and Hatshepsut from the 18th dynasty. Mm -hmm. Ones is showing here a boat with uh, two pillars. That pillar like a papyrus plant or lotus plant, mm -hmm. which is about five meters, I think from five to six meters uh, high. Okay. And the obelisk of Hatshepsut about uh, 24 meters uh, high. Okay, so those are the, two, the, the only two mention uh, of something like this. Mm. And then we have another example or some few examples that they move the, the block or the statue on a sledge mm. or a sled. Okay, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you will be surprised that to know that to do this, they uh, do drawings of 
like there is a famous picture for a statue in one of the tombs in uh, uh, south of Cairo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that statue, let's say, according to the picture, will be about 500 tons. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they, they draw 72 people in three rows. It could be more. Okay. Okay. 72 people, that is not enough, in my opinion. <laughs> it's not. No, it's the, unless they. too much for them. Each one will have to push or drag more than. Uh, than Seven tons, I think. About seven tons, roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just doing doing the math in my head. Yeah. Yes. So we think that it was a symbolic uh, carving, because that is not the truth. Because who can drag five hundred tons or even three hundred tons? Okay. But the main question still exists, or or the question about what. What about step number one? Step number two. Step mm. number three. Yeah. What before, about step number one? How they cut? How they cut the block? Number one. How did they cut it? And then step okay. number two. How did they move it? Number two. How? No, did, no, not yet. Oh, how do you get it. it? Get it out of the. They cut this block. Exactly. Out mm. of the groove. Mm. Mm. Of the bit, yes. Mm. And, and when we say how they take it out, you must think about the the surrounding area. Mm. There is almost no space for 10 people maximum to stand next to the block or this roof because it, it, there are edges in each side yes. or at least one side. Mm. So there is no enough space for... Uh, 10 people or more than 10 people. You can have like five maybe or maximum 10 people. Mm. Okay. Like the obelisk. I will give you a clear example. The unfinished obelisk. The unfinished obelisk. Yes. Yeah. The location of the unfinished obelisk, the, uh, let's say the left side of it or one side, Mm -hmm. there is zero chances for people to stand because it is a cliff, a big cut. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so there is one side completely uh, are not, not going to be used. Not, okay. not, not available. Not available to be used. Yeah. Yes. Not this, we, then the uh, of course one person will be at the top, mm-hmm. the pointed top, and maybe two or at the the base. Mm-hmm. What about the other side? The other side also is very high wall and very limited edge. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's pretend to bring um, 30, 50 people, 30, mm. 50 people. And that obelisk, the estimate weight is 1,200 tons. <laughs> 12. Okay. Oh. So how are they going to take it out? Mohammed, oh, yeah. The third, the third step. Yes. I'm in logistics, Mohammed. The so first step is to take it. <laughs> when I'm in logistics, so when you see when you when out you when, the quarry. yeah, to take it out of the quarry exactly. When we talk about these things, Mohammed, this is my profession. My profession is is moving things. I, I teach it now. I teach students uh, logistics. Um, so I have moved massive mining machines, massive switch rooms, cranes oil rigs, 
all of these things. These things are big, but they're nowhere near 1,200 tons. There's not even a – like once you get above 500 tons, just forget about it. Like th- you can't do it. But they did it how many times? How many things in Egypt weigh over 500 tons? Not to mention the lintels in the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid that are, what, they're 70 metres long and they're 250 feet off the ground. Like it's, it's insane. So, yeah. So, so okay. here is a question, a, quest, a question many people didn't think about. Okay. You maybe you will understand this in, in a very good way when you talk about your profession and logistics. Uh, when I was preparing my uh, apartment, okay, when I was like doing the walls, uh, the tiles, okay, because I, I bought it with plain walls. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the floor, mm-hmm. and because I understand the the value of granite, uh, rose granite, so I wanted to make one of the rooms completely from rose granite. Oh, so the man offered me uh, at the, the, the granite uh, factory, he told me we're going to bring tiles 40 by 40, 40 yep. centimeters by 40 centimeters. Hmm. I told him, no, 40 by 40, we are going to bring like uh, uh, many boxes. I, I want to make smaller, uh, bigger size. Hmm. So, so we're going to get less number of, uh, of blocks, if I can call it blocks, or like tiles. Okay? Yeah. So he told me, okay, the maximum I can do one meter by 50 centimeters. Okay. So I told him, no, I, I want to have like two meters by one meter. Okay. He said, no. I told him, like, why no? You have the machine, you can cut the, the size I want. He said, no, I'm not talking about the, the cutting. I'm talking about transferring. Yeah, moving it. Yeah. Every... Exactly. In every step, there is a high possibility to be broken. Right. Okay. To shake. Yes, yes, yes. Also, when they arrive arrive to the building, we're going to take it through the the stairs. So you can't get it around the corner. Under construction Mm -hmm. to -hmm. maneuver. Yes. So the man was talking from that point, the how much risk it is. So imagine that the ancient Egyptian cutting this obelisk, it is not 100% risky uh, operation. It is like 1 million percent risky operation. Absolutely. They can lose it in every step. Okay. And it's got to be a single Which piece, doesn't it? Too. In, uh, in 18, I think 1840, 1850, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Giovanni Belzoni, an Italian so Belzoni wanted to take the obelisk uh, in front of uh, Luxor Temple, one of the two. Okay. And Luxor Temple is just 20 meters far from the Nile, only 20 meters, just the street in between. Okay. Okay. So I'm not talking about hundreds of miles away. I'm talking just about 20 meters. Mm-hmm. As soon, of, of course, he man- that obelisk is a small obelisk. He managed to take the obelisk down and he uh, and the, the uh, obelisk ran into the Nile and was there for more than eight months under the water. They couldn't uh, prevent this uh, incident to happen. Right. To happen. So, so basically he got it, he got it to lie. He had to bring. So 
He got it to lie down. What did he do? Did he put it on rollers and what? It just took off into the river. Exactly. They built like a mound of sand and mud at the center, at near the, the, the middle level. And with ropes, they bend it down. Okay. And then over uh, wooden construction like a sled, they mm-hmm. took it to uh, the river. Mm. And the, the wooden prepa- preparation couldn't handle the heavy weight. We're talking about almost uh, 300 uh, tons. Yeah. So <laughs> it was drowned for eight months. Some stories say three years, but I found that uh, I think three years is too much. The recent story, it says eight months. Okay. Uh, and he had to bring uh, like five ships with pulleys and uh, like uh, old system of cranes or basic primitive cranes to take that obelisk from under the, the water. And how, when was this? Okay. I, in the and 1800s? To send it to France, they had to prepare 1840 or 1850. Okay, yep, yep. Okay. So to send it to Paris, they had to uh, build uh, like a submarine around the obelisk. Okay. And, and they filled the spaces with uh, lintel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they, uh, another, the big ship took, there was like a tied together that submarine with the ship. So here's the question, why they didn't uh, load the, uh, the obelisk above the ship? Because they couldn't lift it that high. Why they had to make it separate. Lift it. There's no ship that could no, have they, carried they could, that. They could. At the time, they, they had... No, the, there was a ship can do this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Sorry to keep asking questions, but people will never forget the answer when they... No, no, no. ...question no. at the beginning. I think it's excellent. Yeah. I think it's excellent. Look, yes. the boat can carry the obelisk, mm-hmm. but they cannot... They cannot fit or let's say control the obelisk to be in one place over the, the top deck all the time. Because yes. there are waves, there is wind, there is so the the the, uh, the 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 obelisk can just how do you call it in English like move a, a sudden movement, okay, mm-hmm. and it will be like a, a, a whip. Imagine a granite whip of 300 tons. Yes. So it's gonna destroy any of the sides of the boat in yeah. less than a second. Just one kick. Yes, if I can call it this, one kick, okay, from the top or from the base will destroy the boat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's I why we had to make it separate and dragged by the... Uh, and uh, sending, uh, they sent it to Paris. Now it is on uh, Concorde Square, mm-hmm. middle of Paris. And I want you to check online that story. They had to create a huge foundations of wood and wooden cranes and they uh, put the obelisk uh, in, in a certain way and it took them like five months just to put it upright mm. okay in that place was was too many workers um, and I'm saying too many like I think they were exceeding 2,000 workers yeah. about we're talking about one of the small size obelisks in Asia I'm not talking about the the giant not the big ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if if this obelisk required this great work, okay, so 
how we claim that the ancient Egyptian did it was very basic tools and very basic uh, techniques, mm. especially the, the Hatshepsut obelisk, 700 tons, and the unfinished one, 1,200 tons. So what's the, what's the biggest one? Is it the Hatshepsut one, 700? Uh, what's the biggest standing obelisk in Egypt now? The biggest standing one uh, is Hatshepsut, 700 tons. But you will find that in many uh, capitals, in many capitals in Europe, they have uh, uh, around 17 open. Are not the, uh, the, the, how do you call it? Not the whole obelisk. Yeah, many just are half. Half ones. Yeah, I've seen the half ones. Yeah. They, yes. They, they couldn't take the whole obelisk. So they were happy to take half of it. So, so I suppose, mate, it, it leads me to a question. Uh, where is the information? You know, I mean, this is, this is the grand question, isn't it? Where, where what, when, how, basically? You know, like, is, is there any... Because as you say, there's very little information, yet there's these magnificent structures everywhere. Like, especially with Egyptians, they, they carved everything, they wrote a lot down. Where is it? You know, it's a good question. Exactly. You know, in one of the tombs, they showed us how they feed birds, how they feed animals, how they make sandal. Right. They show a shoemaker making a sandal. So that 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 simple but gesture. They never tell us <laughs> how they build a giant, massive pyramid that's perfect beyond all but measure. They never show us. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 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 for how they build pyramids, how they cut stones. So, so basically, Muhammad, you like everybody else are hoping for opening and opening a tomb one day and having it be a library and that tells us everything, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest dream, <laughs> too, mate. Mine, too. Mine, too. Um, so, so last question, let you go. Um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about, obviously, the, the post that I tagged you in this evening was the, the second pyramid, which still has some of the capstone um, on, the, on the top, right? Um, now, the, the story goes that, we, that I understand is that the, 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 great, the, the three pyramids were once covered in uh, limestone, um, I have heard different stories that it was coloured limestone, uh, white, red, and black. Uh, it was covered in hieroglyphs. Um, but then there was an earthquake and one of the stones got loose and basically then those stones were then used to build Cairo. But when you start digging into that story, there isn't much evidence that I understand. Obviously, you're in Cairo, so you better ask answer the question. That they haven't found those capstones because they'd be very sharply angled with stepped backs on them. They wouldn't be very good building material, you would think. And didn't they have hieroglyphs on the front? I mean, that's the, the some of the story, you know. So where where are the where are the capstone? Where's the the capstone? Or well, not the capstones? The um, casing stone. Stones, yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's answer the question backwards. Okay. From 
the last question. So uh, do we have uh, many buildings in uh, medieval Cairo or Islamic Cairo built and also Coptic Cairo hmm. built by the stones of the pyramids? Yes, so many, hundreds, okay. Okay. hundreds of churches, hundreds of mosques, okay? Uh, many of these stones have hieroglyphic inscriptions, yes, okay. but not much. It okay. was. It seems to be like one, one or two lines around the pyramids, not around the, all of it. Around yes. the bottom. Yes, exactly. Okay. One line or two lines maximum. Okay. Maybe not a complete line because uh, we have hundreds of uh, stones taken from uh, the pyramids, plain without writings. Only few with writings. So it seems to be not big text. Okay. okay. That kissing the stone, uh, not as most of the people imagine it is just a, a, a shallow surface or a layer. No, it was a big stone. But the okay. front is, is smoothed and with an angle. Mm. But sometimes that stone goes to three or four meters deep. Oh, really? That big? Yes. Wow. Exactly. Okay. You can, you, can see, you can see this clear in uh, the bent pyramid at Dahshur. Okay. Okay. Because one of the corners is, uh, we lost the stones of the corner. So when you go and, and look, you will see that here the angle, but it goes four meters into the structure. So then that, so then that means logistically so the casing stones were multiple tons as well, not just, so each stone would have been multiple tons, it's but like angled. Thousands of tons. Wow. Is each stone at least... Uh, the smallest one, the smallest one will be 1.5 tons. Up to, who knows, 10, 20, 30 tons, depending on size, yeah. Exactly. No, not that much. It will be from 1.5 to 4 tons. Okay. Still, still, you know, you, 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 you're putting them yes. 300. But, okay. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, and something interesting also, many people don't know, that they don't place... The, the casing stone in a perfect vertical angle. No, there's a little bit higher. Oh, really? So, so they must slide with a higher angle. Yes. That so when you go... <laughs> that doesn't make sense because okay. you'd think it would slide off, wouldn't you? Wow. Okay. So, okay. So you got my point. So you, you must be higher than the block to slide the block. A little bit with a sloping angle to slot it in to slot it in yes so the, the, yes exactly that will lead us to a, a very strange fact that no one can and, and the, the story just said that uh, an earthquake or something so one block was taken out so it created like a loose no, no, the, if if half of the pyramid uh, or half of the casing stone will fall out still solid structure still because it is interlocking. Yeah, so just, the last yeah. piece of the casing stone will be also interlocked with the structure. If if anything, the last the last piece of the casing stone would be like a, a would be interlocked on three or four yes. sides. Exactly, and it would be a great challenge to take that piece out, even right. if it's just the last piece. Yeah, right. So my story that none of the Egyptians had anything to do with this story. They found the casing stone already on the ground. Yeah, right. Okay. Right? 
And how that? Maybe because of the disaster 10,500 BC or the second disaster 9,700 BC. Something extreme happened to but knock them Earthquake, was... the permit was pulsing. Hmm. This is the only way to lose all the casing stones. But what happened of the second permit? That the, the casing stone at the top, okay, it seems to be not, not stuck uh, in a better way, but maybe the, the pulsing was more at the base. Okay. And actually, when you hold something and you shake it, the vibration will be stronger at the base, not at the top. Yes, true, true, true. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When we come to the color of the casing stone, the Great Pyramid is entirely uh, uh, cased by limestone. Mm. Okay. 100% limestone. The third pyramid, entirely granite. The second pyramid, mixed. The, the base, granite, and the upper part, limestone. Okay. So you just said, uh, you, you cut That's out... Like the cut out there a minute. So the second pyramid was covered in granite, not limestone. But the second pyramid covered in both materials. The okay. base is lime as granite. The base is granite, and the top is limestone. So one of the one of, and I, I didn't. Oh, so one of the theories that we had here, mate. Um, obviously, the Great Pyramid being eight sided, not four sided. You know, with it with it being angled in. If you were then to put the casing stones, yes. if you were to put the casing stones on top of that angle that would then make that angle more pronounced, you know, more. And then obviously if you put the, the capstone, which as far as we understand, as I understand was made of gold with a giant crystal in it, um, that would actually reflect sunlight along the angle into the capstone and then vertical. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you go back to what Chris Dunn yes. says. You go back to what Chris Dunn says. That we, we're talking about something having function, something that it, it was doing something when it was in its day. Of course, that the design is always uh, uh, helping the function. Mm. Mm. That's why. That's why. Um, Anything in our life, uh, you must, uh, let's say, the, uh, that uh, door hand, as an example, mm -hmm. okay? It was designed with a certain way, so it was a little push. It creates a, a bigger pressure, and it opens the door. But if they made that hand short, so you need to press it hard, and maybe it will hurt your hand. Mm -hmm. so, so every design is serving certain function. Mm. So the, the eight side sides of the pyramid is serving at least one function, could be multiple functions. Yeah. The first function, it will bring uh, strength to the design. Mm. Okay. Uh, because of the heavy weight of the blocks and the long uh, side, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is almost uh, 223 meters long. Um, it will, if you make that line uh, in, in, in inclination in the middle, that will bring strength to that side. And more, the other in, side and the other side. more interlocking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
Maybe it helps with the uh, direction of energies comes from Earth. Maybe it plays also like if you look from the top, it looks like a lotus flower somehow. Mm. Okay. And that is a, is a kind of one of the uh, geometric uh, uh, magics or magical uh, geometric solutions to absorb or to release energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to tell you what exactly, it is not um, easy. But mm-hmm. it, it must, the, the, uh, the, the only thing I can tell you, it helps the design to protect each other. That yeah. is the one I'm very sure about so far. But, but I, I believe that there are multiple functions to this design. Yeah, well, mate. So, I mean, uh, so the last question, and I know you don't, well, you wouldn't know the answer. Where's the capstone? <laughs> Is, and, okay, look. Let me tell you something. Uh, how we know that there was a golden capstone or maybe a crystal or something. There is a carving in Aposir, mm-hmm. in, in a piece of a stone or a piece of a stela. It talks about moving the electron uh, pyramid or pyramidion, the electron benben. That is the Egyptian word for a small pyramid or capstone. So from that carving, we got the idea that it used to be a small pyramid shape from electrum. Electrum is a mix of silver and gold together. Silver and gold, like yeah. The Egyptian, yes, okay. Uh, so here's the question. The, the Egyptian pyramids had a separate capstone, or one day it was complete uh, pyramid or the, the angle was complete. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I'm sure that the Great Pyramid never had any capstone. Okay. Why? Okay. And maybe, and maybe the, the rest of the Giza Pyramid uh, or Giza Plateau Pyramids, they were plain. Uh, maybe the second one was completed, maybe the third. But the first uh, pyramid, Giza, the Great Pyramid, was uh, the peak was not complete because in my opinion, it was designed with a space at the top so it could, it could play like a cone shape and sending the waves to that shaft under the pyramid. Mm. And there is another system will uh, uh, convert the operation and sending up. Okay. So, so you think, so you, you cut out there so, for a second, you cut out for a second, right? So on the top there, you think there was a cone structure that sat on there that magnified energy, basically. No, no, the pyramid itself. The yep. pyramid itself was the cone. Yeah. Okay, so that's why it must receive. But because if you make it a pointed angle, it, there was no enough space to receive much. So it must be flat uh, and flat top. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. How I know this or, or why I love or I uh, uh, agree with this opinion. We found so many uh, shrines in, in the holy of the holies of the temples. That is the most sacred part in the temple, and the, sh- the top of the shrine is designed as a pyramid. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, you know, shrine shape, right? Yep. And and all of them, the end of the the uh, the, the pointed part of the shrine is not uh, angled. It has the same style like the Great Pyramid. So. Flat top. Ah, interesting. Interesting. That's very interesting, mate. That's very interesting. Well, look, Mohammed, mate, I, I, 
I could talk I to you. I will send you a picture of, uh, I'll send you a picture of a, of a famous uh, shrine from Elephantine Island. Oh, look, Elephantine Island, that's something else that I, I want to talk to you about. Look, mate, you've been very, very, very generous with your time. I know you're a very busy man. You've got a, a tour coming up. You've got Ramadan to organise. So um, I really appreciate your time. I'll, I'll uh, thank you very much, mate. And look, obviously, I know you're busy over the next month or so. Um, however, if you, if you have some time in that time, please, we'd love to have you back. Uh, this, this the, let the, you know. Sure. Yeah. The episode, just so you understand, the last week's episode is one of the most, it's spiking and it's being heard all over the planet, mate. This humble Aussie podcast does have a global reach. Really, really appreciate your time, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll stop the record. Just hang around for a second because I just want to ask you something. Uh, but thank you very much, mate. Have you got, have you got a message for the, the people of Australia before we, uh, before we end this one? Yes, uh, my main message to them that they must understand that uh, Australia is not far away from Egypt. Maybe yes, according to uh, geography, it is far away, but the Egyptian culture and the Aboriginal culture, uh, they were connected uh, a long time ago. Mm. Maybe they were one body and mm. division happened, okay? Uh, and if I talk about the recent uh, situations, uh, don't be sad about uh, the COVID-19 thing. This is the end of the uh, cycle of dark. I call it a moon cycle from mm -hmm. the five. This is what we're going to talk about it next time, the five cycles of the sun. We didn't and get we to are, the five cycles, uh, no. We, we already talking. started. Yes, we, we already started the cycle of light, the first cycle of light, okay? So to uh, the transition from darkness to light, it requires some... Uh, problems, not severe, not disasters, uh, like like from light to darkness. So from light, but from darkness to light, as I call it, light disaster. <laughs> so I want to tell you that very soon everything is going to be better and better and better. Well, thank you very much, mate. And look, I think so. The very fact that. Me as a as an Australian is talking to you as an Egyptian, as different belief systems, different religious beliefs, but we are connecting as one, as as men from across the globe. I think this is a good example of that. That's a good example of that, Muhammad. You know, I think we are all yes. one. We are all one, and we can all find a way to respect each other and get along. And I think that's a, you know. And we just uh, just stay together, mate. Mm. Yes, that is my last message. Let's stay together. Good on you, Mohammed. Thanks one very much, nation. mate. One, one, one nation, one people. Thanks, mate. We'll talk again soon.